0: I want to set the scene for this story. And we're going to start a little bit further back at the beginning of chapter 14. And the context is this, is that Jesus is actually having a meal in a prominent Pharisee's house. This is before any of the coronavirus restrictions. There were people over. There was lots of different people in the house. They could have a party with as many people as they wanted to, because everybody was keen to hear what Jesus had today. You know, you got to understand that, though, that this is the Sabbath, right? This is the lawfully, religiously observed day in the Jewish calendar, to do no work, but also today to keep it holy unto the law. And the people who were around were trying to catch Jesus out. It says in Luke chapter fourteen, verse verse one, it says, "One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being." carefully watched. He was being carefully watched by the Pharisees and the scribes who were critical of him and who were trying to catch him out. You see, there was a person there who needed to be healed who was ill, and they knew that if they got that person around Jesus on the Sabbath, that they were going to try and catch him in the act of healing them. Now, Jesus is able to do this in a way that you know, completely leaves them with no answer, and he still was able to heal the person. But they were watching Jesus closely. Everywhere that Jesus went, people were watching. They were trying to catch him out. They were trying to look for that gotcha moment. They're trying to catch him in the act of either doing something wrong or saying something wrong that they could actually crucify him for. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the writers and rulers of religious law were just waiting for Jesus to do something wrong. You know, people were always doing that to Jesus. But have people been doing that to you? Have you ever felt like you've been in one of those gotcha moments where someone can just hear you say something incorrect and go, gotcha? oh, hey, that's the wrong thing to say, I gotcha. Or maybe you've been on the other side of that and you've been waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing so you can say, gotcha. What kind of attitude do we have sometimes when we read the scripture or when we listen to different preachers? Are we actually looking for them to say something wrong so we can say, gotcha? But let's have the right attitude about how we approach other people. But Jesus, you know, his responses and the way that he actually healed that person on the Sabbath, they had no answer for, no comeback and no gotcha moment. So that sort of sets the scene. This is the kind of area and the region and, and what's going on right then when Jesus is actually teaching these parables that we're about to dive into today. He says, we followed the story down into the, the next chapter. It's unclear whether Jesus is still at the house or having the meal but, or, you know, but apparently there were large crowds and the sinners and tax collectors were gathered around listening to hear. Now, they were listening to hear, but the scribes and the Pharisees were listening to say, gotcha. There's a very big difference between wanting to listen to hear and listening to catch someone out. You know, the first group wanted to learn from Jesus and the second group wanted to crucify him. Are we always looking to crucify someone or are we looking to see what we can learn from someone? If you turn on a YouTube channel or you turn on somebody's podcast, are you just listening because you actually want to learn something or are you trying to hear for the controversial thing that they're trying to say? Do you want to actually grow or you actually go, hang on, I know more than this, so I'm actually going to see what they say that's wrong. Let's have the right attitude when it comes to listening to learn. So Jesus finds himself in this position where he's telling these stories to two very different groups of people. He's talking to this audience, but he's got a divided and split audience. He's got the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the the scribes and the the writers and the rulers of law, uh, of religious law. And they're over on this side. And then over here, he's got the um, he's got all of the tax collectors and sinners that are listening intently to him. And these guys over here are looking over and they're going, can you look at this guy, Jesus? He's hanging out with the wrong crowd. He's, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And, and what's he doing? This is not the way that we act. That's not proper for a religious person. He says that he's a, he's a teacher, but the teachers don't hang out in that kind of crowd. That's not what we do. So, you've got this kind of thing, this, this group of two different groups of people that he's telling this story to. And he can hear all the criticism coming from this side. And he can see the intent look in the eyes of the people over here who are, are like desperate to learn because they know that there's something that he, they can be taught by Jesus. Those who are here to listen and those who are wanting to silence. And this brings us to the beginning of the. The book of Luke in chapter 15, you know, the Pharisees, scribes, critical of Jesus, whining about the scholar who's spending time with lowly peasants, get thee beneath me, sinners and tax collectors, those who were deemed unworthy, unclean, and unwanted. And Jesus starts by describing these stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So the first story he just starts to tell, he talks about how if a shepherd is out in his fields and he notices that he has a hundred sheep, but one is missing. Will he not leave the 99 sheep who are safe to go off to find the one sheep who was lost and potentially in danger? And he tells that story. And then he goes on to tell the same story. The same story again, but in a different way. So will not the widow who has 10 coins and loses one leave the nine coins there where they are safe and go off to find and turn her house upside down to find the one coin that is lost. And then when she has found it, won't she just call all of her friends and neighbors and say, come and celebrate with me. I have found this lost coin. See, Jesus is trying to paint a picture to the scribes and the Pharisees who are being critical of who he spends his time with, that the lost are important to him. Let's have a look at this a little bit more closely. There's an interesting note that I discovered while I was reading this, is that Jesus starts by placing more value on the one than on the 99. He put more more value on the one than the nine and more value on the one than the one. You notice that the numbers decrease on the way through this. He talks about starts talking about a hundred sheep. And he starts talking about ten coins. And he starts talking about two brothers. And who are the lost in these stories? You know, obviously we know that if we read through this this whole chapter, and we're going to dive into a fair bit of it now, but The lost person, the lost in these stories is the sheep, the one that's lost, the coin, the one that can't be found, and the son who leaves and wanders away. We know that these are the ones who are lost. But Luke chapter 15, verse 11, we're going to read through this story of this famous parable of the prodigal son. And I'm excited to jump into this today with everybody. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, the inheritance. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all that he had together and journeyed into a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. There he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine, the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. Just imagine that, kids. You got so hungry so hungry that you went and jumped into the pig pen with the mud and you were sloshing around and you were trying to fight with the pigs for their food? Have you ever been that hungry in your life? All of the kids watching at home, have you ever been so hungry you would have gone, oh, I'm going to jump into the the muddy pig pen and I'm going to fight with those? And this is how hungry This prodigal son was, is that he had to fight with the pigs for food. He was so hungry. But it says, no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And they had a giant barbecue, a giant feast uh, to celebrate this lost son returning home. You know, I I like to do a bit of a barbecue. I like the grill. I like to put a couple of steaks on there. You know, I love to have a feast. But the son was upset because the father had put on a party for the son that had wasted everything. And he goes on in chapter 28. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, this many years I have been serving you I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, notice he doesn't say my brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. So we've got this amazing story of independence and dependence, loss and gain, rejection and restoration. And Jesus uses this story to wrap up how important the lost are to God, those who are far away from him, those who need to repent. The story shows us the father heart of God. It also tells the story of two very different sons. It shows the story of a father who has to learn to release and let things go. This year, just even a few weeks ago, I've had to learn to let something very dear to me go. As you're all aware by now that Phoebe and Xander were married just a few weeks ago. And as a, a brand new father-in-law, I've had to learn to let my daughter go and become joined with, with Xander. They are now a couple. They're now married together. So Phoebe is also always going to be a part of my family, but I have had to release her into that. And that, for me, I've got to be honest, it's a learning curve. It's something that I'm not used to yet, and it's something that I'll probably be getting used to for a while. So it's, it's, this, this story talks to us about how God's got this father heart and he knows how to release. So the younger son comes to him and says, I want everything, give it to me, I'm gonna go. And then it's got this other son who gets angry, says you're celebrating the son that wanted everything and left, and now he's come back, and he wasted everything, and you're celebrating him? I don't know why. So you've got two different sons with two different perspectives, two sons with two different conditions, one who is arrogant, lost, and is ultimately humbled, and one who is humble, becomes arrogant and is ultimately lost. you got the lost son and you've got the really lost son. I want to focus on each of the three characters in this story in the time that we've got left this morning. And that is the lost son is what I'll focus on first. We all know this story. We all focus on, oh, yes, he was lost and now he's found. He goes off and he wastes everything and he comes back. Now, this lost son, he's the kind of guy who wants it all and he wants it now. I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. I I want it now. He doesn't want to wait for what's better. He wants his inheritance and he wants to splurge. He's into that LA party scene. He buys a jet ski, a Ferrari, gets a Nintendo Switch in some Yeezys. He definitely did not read God, money and me. I'm telling you, this guy is all out for wasting everything that he's got in the shortest amount of time possible. He probably feels like he won the lotto and that that's going to last him forever. But he realizes very quickly that there's a drought coming and a famine in the land and he has nothing left. You know, he finds that he's living large and in charge until one day he shows up and his Amex black card doesn't work at the five-star restaurant and he has to go and get a job in the local piggery, probably up in Brim somewhere. Um, I I know there's a good piggery up there. And he goes, hang on, how did I end up here? I should be on the cover of magazines. My Instagram followers are deserting me. I'm I'm fighting for scraps in the pig pen. Kids, I wanna tell you again, Imagine that, imagine fighting with the pigs for the scraps to get your dinner. Your mum and dad love you and they're gonna provide for you. They wanna make sure that there's always a meal on the table for you, but imagine being so hungry you had to get to that point where you were so desperate that you would do anything. He thinks to himself, my father's wealthy and surely I could come back to the family business. I could start at the bottom, work my way up. At least I could eat something decent, I'd have some clean clothes. But he didn't realize what he had lost until he came to the end of himself. He was the lost sheep. He was the lost corn. He had to become humble to lose all that he valued, money, riches, fame, the fast life, the prodigal living, to realize what he had always known was far more valuable. Let's have a look at that word prodigal for a moment. It's the word asotos in the Greek, and it means to live wastefully, but as I dove a little bit deeper into the meaning behind this word in the context, asotos normally means incapable of being saved. He just wasted everything to the point where it was beyond his ability to rectify the situation. He put himself in an incurable hole where he could not get himself out of. He was in a hopeless state. That's an incredible thought, the way he lived for him to lead himself to a place of being incapable of being saved. It was impossible. It was hopeless. And I want to tell somebody who's watching this today. You might have led yourself down a road and made some decisions that you think you're in a place where it is impossible for you to get out of. But I wanna tell you today that our Father in heaven is able and capable and willing and wants to, and he is on the lookout for you to start to return to him and he will restore those years that the enemy has stolen from you. So I wanna encourage you today, if you are watching this, And I'm expecting, I'm just anticipating people coming along this journey with me this morning. If you're in the living room, get up on your feet. Let's go. The Lord wants to restore to you what you have maybe even wasted yourself. Let's go this morning. He realizes that he is in a predicament and all he can do through himself is to throw himself on the mercy of the Father. That brings me to this next character in the story is the father. Luke chapter 15, verse 20 to 24, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, the father, and I just picture this whenever I read this story, is that I picture a big farmhouse two-story with a balcony right on the top level. And I, I picture the father every day standing on that balcony with binoculars, looking, waiting, watching for the lost son to return. You see, that's the father heart of God. He's waiting. He's waiting because you know what? He knew the son would come back. He knew what kind of son he was and that he would waste it. And he knew this day was going to come. All he had to do was look. And he was waiting and watching. And when he saw that he was a long way off, he ran to him. That's the father heart of God. That's the father heart in this story. And regardless of whatever the son tried to say and said, Father, I don't deserve this. And he says, shush. Servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. We are going to have a party. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. You know, the father didn't act as expected. He anticipated servanthood and he got sonship. He perceived retribution and he got royalty. He expected to be chastised and instead he was celebrated. Peter Scazzaro in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality says this about the prodigal son, says, Jesus' description of the father gives us a glimpse of what it looks like for us to be emotionally mature adults. The church is full of younger sons who wander from the love of God every time he does not meet their expectations. But it's also full of elder brothers who are angry, bitter, and grumpy. I know them both well. I relate to both. Yet people are desperately looking for fathers and mothers in the faith who are able to embrace love, empathise, be present and forgive freely. It's a love without conditions, something the world knows very little about. To become this kind of person does not come naturally. You know, the father continues to keep watch for the return of the son. He's always looking and waiting for the lost to realise an end to himself, to understand that they are incapable of saving themselves and that is when he comes. Then we've got the final character in this story and I like to call him the really lost son. Luke chapter 15 verse 28 tells this about the son. It says, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. And he starts to whinge and complain. He says, I was faithful. I never left you. I served so long. I've worked my butt off to try and please you. I have done everything right, but still you're celebrating the one who did everything wrong instead of me. I've never had one of these parties. And he gets himself down into the dumps and he starts to be grumpy. With the really lost son, he never left. He stayed. He was faithful. I picture this one as the responsible one, the responsible elder brother, the one that you should look up to as an example. But there's something different about this son that I realized this time I read this parable. Is that there were two sons who left. One left and wasted all of his inheritance, but one actually was out in the field And when it came time to come into the great celebration, one stayed outside, refused to go in. Two sons, one father. And twice the father goes out to meet the son. The father was not just looking for the lost prodigal son. He was also looking for the one who never left. He was looking for the son who had the attitude, the son who was going, but why are you always celebrating those lost people? Why are you always looking? Why are you always standing on that balcony at the end of every day looking out to see if that lost son will come back? He's not gonna come back. It should be all about me, but it's not. And he realized Well, I realised in that moment that this was the son who was really lost. He never left. He never went anywhere. Twice the father goes out to meet the son, one who was returning and one who was refusing. That's the real story right here. Both times the father went out to meet the son. He chased after, he ran to his sons regardless of their condition. His heart was for both of them equally. So who's really who in this story? The lost son, you've got the sinners, the tax collectors, the lost. The father is God and the real father, lost son. He's talking to the Pharisees, but He's also talking to you and I. Because I think that in certain times of my life, I have been both of those people. I have been the lost son, and I have been the really lost son. Jesus is painting this picture that it is better to be lost and know you need to be found than to think you are found and have no idea that you are really lost. Heaven will celebrate over one sinner who repents. But the Pharisees and scribes criticize and condemn. They didn't realize that they too were lost. As I bring this to a close, I want to ask a couple of questions of us. Who are we in this story? And what can we learn? Are we lost right now, away, distant from God? Are we close to Him, but maybe not even having the idea that we're really lost? Have we learned today that maybe it's us need to learn something from the Father heart of God about the way that we treat everybody around us, those who are found, but also those who are lost? And I want to invite people today to join me in a prayer in just a moment, coming close to God again, to ask for forgiveness, to... Say, God, I'm sorry. I've been lost and I want to be found again. And the essence of these parables really shows us God's Father heart. It's important to remember that on this particular Father's Day, that His heart is for us. We've all been lost and occasionally we still lose our way. We need to return to Him and He will come out to us. Come on, if you are watching online, why don't you pray with me right now, this prayer, inviting Jesus to come into your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I invite you today to come into my heart and give me a brand new start. On this Father's Day, I wanna say I'm sorry for all of my mistakes and all of my sin. I'm sorry for trying to live my life In my own way. But today, I'm turning around. I'm coming back to you because I know you're coming out to meet me. I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to touch base with us, to connect with us, to send us an email. There's different ways in which you can do that. It will come up on the screen. I want you to make sure that you touch base with us because I personally would love to be able to sit down with you and give you a Bible, to give you something that marks the decision that you made today, to be able to help you in the next steps on your journey. And I would love to be able to pray for you. But God bless you, everybody. I think this story has got so much in it that if we're going to really, really preach it. You can preach a whole series or a whole year just on this one story and still not gather everything that's in it. But I hope you have an absolutely brilliant Father's Day. We love you and we're praying for you. And just as I wrap up, I want to do this one more thing. Why don't you just stretch forward your hands to heaven if you're sitting in your lounge room. If you're driving in a car, please don't do this right now, but wait until you're pulled over to the side of the road. But the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. God bless you. I love you.